Thad Cummings lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where he works as a consultant and rides. After spending nearly a decade running sustainable and social businesses, he has shifted his focus towards a bigger picture. The conversation is no longer about individual projects or business ideas, but in an ever-polarizing society, how do we look at the root causes of systemic issues instead of tirelessly trying to address the symptoms? He joins us today in this conversation as we talk about his book, Running From Fear, Walking Into the Desert and Finding Life Again. Hi, I'm Ashton Gustafson, and this is Good, True, and Beautiful. Hey everybody, welcome back. Ashton Gustafson here. Hope you are doing well. Today I'm here to introduce you guys um, to a new friend of mine, AJ Sherrill from Michigan. Dropped me an email not long ago and he said, hey, uh, I think there's a voice that needs to be at the table. And um, so we swapped a few emails. He sent me his book. His book is called Running from Fear, Walking into the Desert and Finding Life Again. Uh, his name is Thad Cummings, and uh, this this book is a brilliant memoir, i.e. Uh, personal map, personal reflection on really getting into some of the nitty-gritty, the thing underneath the thing uh, that holds us back in life. Um, and so that being said, I don't want to take too much thunder away from the book, but I want to introduce you guys to Thad Cummings. Thad, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. So... Um, uh, you know, I ask everyone this when they come on the show, you know, ha- when you introduce yourself and your story and your work in the world, uh, where do you begin? Um, honestly, when I when I start sharing my story, I, I there's a science behind icebreakers and telling jokes and things like that to get people to relax. But I've actually found for myself, I, I, I start from just a, a place of vulnerability hmm. Um when I engage a conversation or, or, or speaking or a group or something of that nature, I've always found that if I actually start by sharing some of my heart or my mistakes, it creates a different dynamic that people actually feel comfortable when we can all acknowledge that, oh, you don't have your poop in a group. Is it okay that, you know, I don't have my poop in a group and we can have a real conversation, right? We skip the weather, we skip the football and all the fake conversations. We just dive right into it and all of our time is short and let's get, let's, let's not waste it. So I love that. I love that. And so, um, tell me about that. I mean, I, I know even, even up to writing this book, um, where like, uh, your, your story, it's been a bit entrepreneurial. It's been a bit philanthropic. You've, you've done a lot of things up to where you are today. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, getting to writing this book meant facing, like I said, pretty much everything that had gone wrong. And that's, you know, things from my childhood all the way to the past several years. So I was in college and I decided that I was going to quote unquote, save the world. Mm -hmm. So I started one company and it was doing alternative energies and then the economy crashed and things got difficult and no one was really worried about wind and solar when they couldn't pay their electric bills. And so I kind of had to adapt and, and, and my degree was in natural resource management. So basically for four years, I always tell people I just studied all the ways in which we're destroying the planet. And so the more I learned, the more I was like, okay, it's up to me to do something about it. Right. You know, ignorance was no longer bliss. And so I, I started doing other companies and I did, um, you know, things like zero waste models where I would, work with a company like General Motors and I'd sell them coffee cups that could turn back into soil and then I'd haul their food waste and things like that out, you know, to a farm and stuff. And so everything was always this, how do I focus on sustainability? But simultaneously, you know, they all had social components. So how do we talk about, you know, the fact that, you know, a billion people didn't have access to clean water. And so it was just ways that I always saw everything is being interconnected and and how do we keep moving that forward in society and and i finally started having success i one company turned into two and that continued to grow and next thing you know i had different shares in companies and i had my own nonprofit, and and i was 
making a lot of money and, uh, and that allowed me to do a lot of the save the world projects that I wanted to do. But, um, my happiness and joy in life was continuing to decline the more mm. successful I became. And I found myself getting more and more disconnected from the people, um, you know, in which I was trying to serve. And, uh, then by happenstance or, or if you want to call it luck, um, I began to get sick and my stress and, and not taking care of my health exasperated it immensely. And then, you know, sickness turned into, you know, severe health issues with infections and, you know, the whole gamut. And so I found myself at, gosh, I don't want to say somewhere between, you know, 21, 22 years old when I was looking in the mirror and I was like, I, I didn't think I was going to be alive much longer. And mm-hmm. I really had to question what was, what was the point of all this for? Um, and, you know, I, I made it through the sickness and I've been recovering for several years now, but, um, uh, it came to about last year when I would say I was at the peak of my success in terms of what I was worth and what I was doing and all my programs. And, uh, in the, sh- in the span of a short few months, I lost everything. And, and, and that, and, you know, that included the money, the success, the companies, you know, even, even my family with, with my new child had split up. And so it was a really, really dark time. But, um, my, my good friend Kent said to me at the time, he said, um, he said, you know, Thad, losing every label that defines you could be, you know, the greatest gift that you'll ever have because it'll be a chance for you to figure out who you really are. Mm. And that next six months of sitting with all the pain from, you know, very difficult childhood through losing everything in my, you know, adulthood was, I'm I'm not going to say it was easy. It was, it was the hardest time. I mean, it was my proverbial hell, Mm. but uh, it, it led me to start to see things like the pain from other people and, and, and and how much bigger the story is with me. And the more I engaged that, the more it was, well, I began sharing my story and some friends asked me, you know, AJ came to me and he said, uh, could you, could you share that story back with the community? And so I started writing, not that I was ever a writer professed to be an author, but, uh, this book is what came of it. And it's, it's been beautiful just because the more I've engaged my pain and, and, and how, you know, I, I went from a man who was, you know, my heart would not hardly beats, you know, systematically for more than 20 minutes straight, you know, without skipping beats or things like that. And so I developed terrible anxiety and different mm-hmm. fears about life. And so to go from that point to being almost, you know, completely at ease with all this stuff, it's just that the, the two extremes of the gamut and just to say like, okay, I can now live with my life where fear doesn't have to control and dictate everything that I do. And the more I talk to other people, the more I realized how common this conversation is actually almost universally in every single person I've ever met. And so it's just, why aren't, why aren't we having that conversation? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it wasn't long ago, a buddy of mine, Patrick Lilly from New York, uh, I was in a room with him and he, and he posed the question to the room. He said, uh, what's the opposite of love? And, you know, er, er, most of the people's response in the room was hate. And, and he goes, no, 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 no. And he said, the opposite of love is fear. And when it, it, it's taken me about a, a year now to really grab a hold of this and learning that there's two, two places to posture the soul from, love or fear. And, and right out of the gate in this book, you, you kind of talk about how we don't even know this is what it is, but when you really get to the thing underneath the thing, uh, so many of our decisions, even very, very small things, are governed um, out of fear. You begin the book uh, kind of defining what fear is, and, and you say that fear stems from two concise trains of thought, the fear of not being enough and the fear of not being in control. You want to hold my hand on those and, and, and kind of as uh, as best as you can try to break down 
a massive, massive concept um, that a lot of us have numbed out. A, a lot of us have um, found a way to medicate the reality of what you just said there. Yeah, you know, it's I, I often sometimes don't think about these things when I write them or say them. So I, uh, some <laughs> friends got together and I've I've created these workshops, you know, for small groups all the way up to to business leaders and, and corporations to actually how do you how do you take that sentence and go a lot deeper? Because mm. my emphasis always has been to try and babble as little as I can, <laughs> um, which is weird because I used to always, you know, love basically talking and, and now give it more power, you know, back to the person. But um, I, I don't always do the best at explaining that. So my, my emphasis on these two concepts is if you can whittle down every decision that has been affected by despair or pain or sorrow in some regards, it's going to come down to, to these two thoughts. And so the easy one to talk about is the fear of not being in control. Yeah. yeah. And, and on one end, right, you're, you're talking, it's the death conversation, right. Of what happens when we die. And, and that's, that's, you know, fairly easy to talk about, but, but I think it plays more of a role in our everyday situations. So I ask questions, you know, I just began to ask why to pretty much everything in my life. So why do we save for retirement? You know, why do we build these houses and, you know, buy all these cars and all this stuff and try and protect? And I finally realized like we, we, we pretend to create these artificial barriers um, to protect ourselves, right. To control our lives, to steer them in the direction that we want them to, or our family or our kids or spouses or, or what have you. And so that way, you know, we're always protecting and safe, you know, keeping safe passage for what we want in life. And then, and then, as you know, the economy crashes or a hurricane comes. And, and one of the best things I've ever done was I, I, I worked as a nurse's assistant on an oncology floor. And mm. when you're sitting with people who are worth millions to people who have no money, it didn't matter, right? I mean, when, when you're talking to a mother who's got three kids and she only has a few weeks left to live, you know, the, what she has in her bank account or how, you know, name brand her furniture is or, or what health insurance she had, none of that matters anymore. Right. And the whole paradigm of the, the, the conversation just completely does a 180. And so it's, what are we trying to constantly control when, you know, when, when you finally realize that you actually have almost no control and, and it's a hard conversation, right? But if you can actually get to that point, it's ultimately freeing for you yeah, because yeah. when you're not trying to control all these things, you leave room for more of joy and, and life experience rather than, you know, I need to work more to make more money so that I can buy more things and save more for retirement and all that. And most people don't live long after retirement anymore, or you got to retire when you're 70, not 55. Yeah. So the, the control conversation is the easy one. That's what I, that's what I kind of call our surface level, but the fear of not being enough is a bit harder for us to engage with. And, and the easiest metaphor that I can give for this, and, and I think a lot of it stems from, from childhood, but in our society, right? Like we are exposed to, I forget the number, it's three to 5,000 advertisements a day, yeah. right? Yeah. And all an advertisement is in its simplest form is telling you that you are not pretty enough, skinny enough, rich enough, whatever it is enough. You're and lacking. therefore you are lacking. And if you buy this item, you will then be complete. And then of course, as you know, the story goes, you went and bought the car, but next year they're going to come out with a new car and it's going to have, you know, leather seats or navigation, or it's going to be self-driving or what, right. There's always something more and more and more. And, and so you can never actually get to the end point. And, and that's where I say I've met, you know, I've worked with some of the wealthiest people in my community and I promise you that having it all is still not enough. Mm -hmm. And so wow. if we live in a society where three to 5,000 times a day, you are told that you are not enough. What is, what is the subtle impact of that long-term? And, and, and that's for men that you need to be rich and care for your family. That's all the way down to women need to wear high heels or whatever, or Ugg boots or something to fit in with society. And so it's, it, it, it just, the more I say it is just, if you can reflect to your thing behind the thing behind the thing, if you yeah. keep asking why and get down to the root of it, it to me always stems back to one of those two things. The yeah. fear that we are not enough or we are somehow losing control and they need to do this in an attempt to control it. And and so the, the next step you kind of say is, um, 
some of us may land in the camp of fear of not being enough, fear of not being in control. What we do then is we avoid really approaching that reality. Um, we escape, we project our fears. Um, one of my favorite things in the book is how you, you wrote about the I'm not as bad as that person syndrome, um, <laughs> yeah. which is brilliant. I mean, this is a brilliant, brilliant way because I think that... Um, Man, this is a hard dialogue to flag. This is a hard thing to to be really you're calling us out to be present because you got to ask why. You have to be very very present. Um and to continue asking why, you have to be present. Um talk to me about fear avoidance, escaping and projecting and that that whole idea of I'm not as bad as them syndrome. Yeah, so I mean, this conversation. Let's let's face it. Let's be blunt. It sucks. There's there's nothing fun about facing you know <laughs> things that happened in your childhood that weren't good to mistakes you made at work and your family, what yeah. have you. I, I I mean, that's not like it's not joyful to talk about. It's much easier to post on Facebook how perfect your vacation was, even if you just got done fighting with your wife, right? Yeah. Like, what whatever it is that we we want to make life seem easy, and so it's it's oftentimes. Now, I would argue that it's it's worse and it's harder, but our society tells us it's easier to escape. So it doesn't have to be, you know, like drinking or drugs or anything extreme, right? I mean, most of us escape through our cell phones or, you know, binge watching Netflix, Netflix yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, like it, it can be watching football or even talking about football. I mean, it can be anything that we do to avoid having real Harvard conversations. Yeah. And that's and that's what I say, anything to avoid admitting that we don't have our poop in a group. Yeah. And that's because if you think that my life is perfect, you're not going to start asking questions. And if you don't ask questions, then I don't have to answer it. And if I don't have to answer it, then I don't have to face it myself. Right. Yeah. And so, so we try to escape however that is. I mean, I escaped through saving the world as bluntly as I can say that my escape from my pain and my childhood to understand why I was, was if I was working hard and saving the world, then I always got a pass and whatever it was mm -hmm. I was running from. So whether it's escaping the world or volunteering or Netflix or booze or working or vacations or Facebook or cell phones, we escape. Everyone does. I'm, you know, me included. It's just the how we escape is always different, mm -hmm. but the more even toxic thing that we tend to do is when we project our fears out on other people. And that's where the I'm not as bad as that person syndrome comes from. It's just this reality of, you know, we've all done it where our boss has yelled at us or that person flicks us off in traffic, right? And, and, and it's just this, well, it's easy to sit there and say, you know, they're having a bad day or he's going through a divorce or she just lost her job or something, but, mm. but we don't do that. We don't have that. Instead, yeah. we, we take our anger and our frustrations out on somebody else. And so then when we're sitting there facing our own junk, instead of sitting there saying, wow, I made some mistakes, we say, actually, I didn't mess up nearly as bad as Susie. And, and I definitely didn't yell at my wife as bad as Joe does. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, we always can, we play this comparison game as always putting everything on a scale and, and it goes either way. We, we can use it to say like, you know, I'm not as bad as that person. So I don't have to face it. Or that person is so much better there than me. Therefore, you know, like I'm, you know, woe is me kind of thing. And yeah. in either way, we just, we do all these things to ever actually avoid having the hard conversations with their own junk. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I, I love where you went in the book on this. Um, this is, this is where the compassion dialogue I think started to happen. And man, I'm starting to, I'm starting to see this. Uh, I, I guess the best way I can start is with, within my own social groups. Um, the minute like you just feel like gossip is starting, I, I'm feeling a new set of eyes and hearts appearing in conversations where people are like, you know what, you, you, you we don't know that guy's story. You know what, there's no telling mm, what he or yeah. she could be going. And that's a new, this is new in the modern world. Um, I, I don't, it's a beautiful thing to experience. It's like immediately we're flagging the gossip, we're flagging the I'm not bad as that person syndrome and beginning to replace it with, man, if we only knew their story. Um, yes, and, and, the old walk a mile in their shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I loved how you interjected that into the book here. I think the chapter was called Don't Take Anything Personally. Um, and it's the idea that we are we are all imperfect. 
Um, but you write, the journey to finding compassion starts within, since we are usually our worst critics. Um, so hold my hand a bit on the projection, how we escape. Once you start to flag that, really what you're saying, you're holding a mirror up to your own fears. Like, why, why are you saying that? Why are you escaping? Why are you numbing? Why are you projecting that? Um, and you have to first begin with, no one's got straight A's uh, in, in the land of uh, life, right? Like, we fail forward. We mess up. Um, walk with me on that, because I think this is a huge conversation for people to, to reset the compassion in their own hearts, and their own souls, and their own chest. And really, you know, it's like compassion in leads to compassion out. You got to start with the man in the mirror. Yeah, this is actually uh, pretty much the starting dialogue of the second book in the series. Um, when I talk about compassion as who you really are, and, and, and the, the biggest thing that I want to point out from that is if you don't have compassion on yourself, it is physically impossible to have authentic compassion on somebody else. Hmm. And so what I would bluntly say is when I'm sitting here talking about you know, peeling back the onion layers of what is the thing behind the thing behind the thing. Well, if you're sitting there talking about how imperfect somebody else is, or, you know, we tell our kids, don't be bullies at school. And then we turn around and gossip about each other all day. We're no different than the same bullies we were all were in high school. So mm-hmm. when, when you look at somebody who is, is out there talking or, or harping on, on somebody else, it's usually a reflection. Almost everything we do outwardly is a reflection of what's going on on the inside. It's an inside and job. It's an inside job. And so when you're, when you're sitting there and, and if you can get past that conversation of I'm not as bad as that person or the escaping or the projecting or anything of that nature, what you usually find is how do you actually think and believe about yourself? Right. Mm-hmm. And that kind of comes back to that concept of not being enough. And so, you know, when, when I say in the book, you know, why is it easier for us to play with our smartphones than play with our kids or, you know, have a conversation with friends, you know, that can even usually boil down to, we don't even feel like we're good enough friends. We don't feel like we're good enough parents or we don't Mm -hmm. feel like we're good enough for a job or something. Right. And so we tend to, as, as, as the saying goes, if, if you only, would you ever talk about your friends the way that you talk about yourself? And most of us wouldn't because when we mess up, I mean, we tend to not give ourselves a break in any regard. And it's, it's scary. Some of the things that we say and talk about ourselves. And so that's why I say when, when it comes to not taking anything personally, right. The reality is, is everybody is facing their own story and their own struggles and we do not know it. No matter That's how right. much we think we do, right. we do not live that person's life. We hardly know our own life, let alone somebody else's. And so when we can start letting other people off the hook, that is a reflection that we can let ourselves off the hook. Yeah. And so that's why I look at everything and say how you engage your character and content with other people is a reflection of who you are within yourself. And so if you and that's and, that, and that's part of the second book, you have to start with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how we can that's how we can change the dialogue moving forward. You know, it wasn't long ago, maybe it was a blog post or a note I wrote or something in my office here. I don't know. But I, I realized that the word compassion probably has more to do, uh, well, has everything to do with passion. But I saw the word compass in there. Um, and I had this thought of like, man, compass is just hiding in the middle of compassion. But that's the North Star. Like, mm. like that is... That is due north. Talk to me about your own compassion for yourself. Um, and then chances are you're going to be seeing with compassionate eyes out into the world. But, but if you don't have that, if that internal dialogue doesn't happen, you don't name the pain, you don't have compassion for you, then all you're going to do is go around pointing out, you know, the, uh, the splinter in everyone's eye. Yep. And this, the simplest way I can say it is when I was running companies and quote unquote saving the world, I didn't take a vacation in almost eight years. I would not give myself a break. There was always more to do or something to do or something to please or an email, voicemail, text, whatever it was. There was always more and more and more. 
And what I realized was when I wouldn't even ever give myself a break, that's actually the story that I've then projected onto those around me was mm. you're not enough if you don't volunteer and eat organic and, you know, do this whole <laughs> list of things that I now had. And it's like, I couldn't keep up with the list, Yeah, but it was, it, you know, that's, that's the story I shared. So who wants to be, well, nobody wants to be my friend. Right. I mean, yeah. I was, let's be honest. I was an ass. So, <laughs> you know, that's, it, it, it's hard, but. So the book moves into kind of starting to uncover wisdom, and you write about the winding journey forward, Uh, and for you, you said sometimes a meltdown can turn knowledge into wisdom. Um, Like, all I can say is second that, uh, I, yes, I agree. Um, From my own personal meltdown, I was just thinking about that, that knowledge to wisdom, um, tell me how in the midst of kind of breakdown, you started to hold on to wisdom. You started to hold on to, um, deep, deep universal truth that without going through the fire, it's, it's just kind of knowledge. It's just kind of there. Um, but it, but it actually becomes nutrition, food, uh, oxygen, th- this type of wisdom. Walk me, w- walk with me on that. Well, y- you know, it's hard, right? I mean, we love inspirational quotes, right? I, yes. I did a podcast the other day talking about live, laugh, love, almost every form of how, you know, house I go to has some form of that saying in there. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so we don't have any shortage of knowledge in the world, right? If, if we live by the golden rule, we could end all forms of violence yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But we don't, and that was another why question. Why don't we, doesn't matter what religion you're a part of, for thousands of years, we've all practiced, you know, love your neighbor, you know, you know, love yourself and all that sort of the things. And so it's just, when, when I started to actually lose everything, right, and when I had to start actually facing, facing my own junk, it was just this reality of like something as simple as patience takes on a whole new meaning. When, when I come from a person of being, you know, I have zero patience, everything is done. You know, this is America fast, convenient, cheap. We Mm. want it done and we want it done now. And, and, you know, when I started going down that journey and, and and I gotta be honest, Ashton, if I knew it was going to take me six months of hell. And I mean, I'm, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm a, a year plus into my meltdown and, and, and I'm still learning every day. But if I knew I was going to get worse and worse and worse for six months, I mean, of course, I never would have gone down that road. Mm. I would have done everything I could to escape right then and there. But even learning something as simple as patience takes on a whole new meaning when you're six months into it. Your world has fallen apart. You've lost everything that defined you. And then you realize you're still standing, right? And you're still able to help and you're still able to love and you're still able to care for other people. And then you realize, okay, all these things that the society defined you as aren't actually who you really are. And that's, that's when I say the the meltdown, the losing of the labels, it sucks. There's nothing fun about it, but everybody I've met has had a meltdown of some degree, right? Whether you call it a midlife crisis or a quarter life crisis or, or a bad breakup or a loss of job, right? Like we go through periods of hardship. And so we've all had them, but we tend to never stop and look at all the things that they have to teach us Hmm. and and engage that. We, we tend to try and bury it up and run from it. You know, we lose a relationship. Let's find a new one right away. We lose our job. Let's get a new one tomorrow. You know, like we never take time to say, well, wait, did I want to have that job in the first place? What, what did I do wrong in that relationship? Right. So we don't take that time to reflect, to say like, okay, there is good stuff, even in the midst of all this despair. And you, you wrote in the book that, that the biggest ingredient as you journey into the desert is patience. Um, and patience. I can't say that bold enough coming from a man who just hates patience with every fiber in his body. <laughs> I mean, patience with yourself, patience with process, patience with what is it like to navigate your days without beginning a conversation with this is this by saying who you are, you introduce what you do in the world. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and that, that, that takes, I can tell you, it takes, it's taken me five years to not begin the conversation with, I own real estate companies. 
Um, <laughs> it, it's, you, you know, like, and, and people also kind of don't even know what to do with this when you begin conversations, you know, uh, on a much different path than what you do. But you have to give yourself patience to kind of unwind, to kind of let go, to shed these labels that unfortunately for most of us, we were told this is how you got to build it. This is what you got to mm-hmm. wear. These are the logos. This is the, this is the archetypal way to navigate your days. And what you're saying is, yeah, surrender, letting go. Uh, if, if you're going to do that to come to know the true self, then you kind of need to write patience on your hand and magic marker because it's, it's a secret sauce. Well, and, 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 you know, when, when, when people argue against that, you know, I'm, I'm a numbers guy. I love science. You know, that is my background. And I say, look, statistically our health, our, you know, how long we live, the number of medications we take, our, our happiness levels, you know, our, our addictions and all the things like that have statistically, they keep increasing. Mm-hmm. Brene Brown has been a huge inspiration to me and through, through yeah. my journey and back. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's the story she tells. Right. And it's, and so why does that keep coming down? Right. If, if the American dream is so freaking great, why are we getting more and more depressed and angry and frustrated and dissatisfied with the world that we live in? And yeah. so yeah. that's what I think. I just think even if you base it on science and statistics, it's a conversation worth at least addressing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to read this that you wrote in the book, um, kind of about practicing patience. Uh, you wrote here, but, but we can get a clearer understanding of the things we did wrong, how we contributed and how we can have more control moving forward to engage life from a better whole self. It won't ever be found in a magical other waiting to, quote-unquote, complete us, because that magical other doesn't exist. The only person that can complete us is ourself. Um, man, it's, it's great news, but that sure is challenging news. It's heavy, <laughs> right? Um, it's it's so on, heavy. It's on us, right? You know, you, you yeah. playing the victim... Uh, putting your pain onto someone else. Uh, this is, you know, to use some of the tradition from from where I come from. I mean, this is this is bearing your cross. Um, mm-hmm. th- this is uh, this is the grain of wheat must die uh, in order uh, to not just be just a grain. You know, um, when you wrote that, when you when you're breaking down this practicing. Uh, of patience with ourself and it being on our shoulders from the story you've lived, what can you share with us? You know, let's, let's just go to the hardest topic that we don't want to talk about. Um, you, you, you know, it's, it's relationships, right? So, I mean, we are, our, our movies, so even parts of our economy are based on finding the magical other. And so when you then, quote unquote, find that magical other, they ultimately will fail you Mm -hmm. some way in some place out, right? It's just through an argument or disagreement or what have you, find out the pasture isn't always greener. And, And if you listen earnestly to any, you know, couple who's been married for 30, 40, 50 years, everybody without fail says love takes work, right? And there's no such thing as this magical thing. And so but it takes you coming to the conversation, right? They always say you have to come to the table. Yeah. And so my argument is not to see that as a negative thing, but to actually see it as a positive thing. Because if we actually long for, you know, more control in our lives through, you, you know, what have you, the buying the cars or the retirements, whatever, well, this is actually real control that you could have because mm-hmm. you could have the opportunity to bring more joy into your life. You could have the opportunity to have more, you know, patience and humility and peace in your life. And that is ultimately what you are then going to share with that person that you love so well. And then you give them the opportunity to bring their faults and their failures and their mistakes and bring that into the relationship and say that that's okay. You can say me too, instead of pointing at who did it worse. Right. Yeah. That's good. And, 
and that's when the conversation that's when the dialogue changes because it's because it's more authentic then right mm-hmm. my baggage and my worth is not now placed on somebody else and their and what they think of me that's yeah. that is way too heavy for the other person to carry and that's not fair to them so why not bring that back into your life totally and i love how rob bell often says like no one's ever tried you before in the universe um mm, it, yes. and and I, it, it's kind of this idea and the more I read the Thomas Mertens of the true self, the Richard Rohrs, the Henry Nowens of being the beloved, um, when you really honor yourself through this patience, through these practices, um, and and you let go of the labels that we've so white-knuckled, staked into the ground, be it our jobs, our roles, uh, whatever, you start looking on the inside of the soul and you start coming to know who you are at that soul level. Um, the only words that I've recently found that are helping me are so vast. It's so expansive. Uh, it's, it's always flourishing. It's always in bloom. Um, but it takes so much work and effort in the way the world works today to kind of turn off the technology, carve out the time, go on a walk, sit in some stillness, build some time around solitude, um, which I kind of feel like is your call of the desert, you know, like that only you can go to these places to hear that which you truly are. Would you say your experience has been the same? Yeah, you know, um, I and and referencing back to Kent again, he always explained to me that every form of religion, for as as long as we've existed that we know of, has had a, a variation of entering into the desert. The mm-hmm. desert was our time to sit and be alone and find out who we really are, and that is something that doesn't exist in our society anymore. Yeah, we 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 go from school to school to school, and then we graduate, and you're supposed to get a job or go back to school, and then either do more school or get a better job, right? And then start a family and. And, and, and even if you don't do that, it's like, okay, take a, take a time off school and then go travel the world. Like it's always got to be do, 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 do. And there's no time to just sit and ask, what is it that you really want to do? What is it? Who is it that you really are? And, and, and I don't know why we, we've lost sight of that, but my argument is, you know, when you go to the workforce and see so many people unhappy working in a cubicle or something to say, but but we're all on the same journey. We all are, you know, all of our lives end. Why, why not spend it bringing joy into this world rather than doing something you think you have to do because society tells you that's where your worth is, you know, made. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you also write that this isn't a one-time event, that this is a continuum. This is the, the the journey into the desert. Um, is day by day. You've, you got to go to this, to the, to the quiet place. Um, to really hear, and until you're grounded and centered, I often say, does your spirit feel isolated and alone, or do you feel as though you are connected and together? And I think we can all quickly name that posture that we're in. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the life you lead via being isolated and alone or connected and together, um, it, you navigate your days in such a different way. Um you approach and handle and communicate with people in such a different way. Um, so like calling us all to the desert, if we live in a city with 7 million people, <laughs> uh, what, what, how, how, how can our listeners go, man, there's, there's no desert around here. There's no way to be quiet. How would you say to posture one's, you know, soul uh, in the universe in a world where millions of people live near each other? Well, you know, that's, I think that's part of why I had to create the workshops that we can, that we can have those deeper conversations around specific issues like that, because the the one thing I'm going to say is while I can help you and I can guide you, it's going to be unique to who you are. Because for me, right, it's, it's, it's nature, right? If if I need time to reflect and find who Thad is, I need to go out for a walk. I, I need fresh air. I need woods. I need, you know, that quiet space. And, 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 and that quiet space may be loud with wind and birds and things like that. So if you're living in a city of 7 million people, you might, you might have a three acre park as might be as big as you get. And you might yeah. be sharing it with 200 other people. So 
you know, it, it, it comes down to, to what you have to do. Is, is that meditation? Is it yoga? Is it walking? Is it prayer? Is it, you know, self-reflection? Is it journaling? Mm-hmm. Is it even, you know, what it, what it ends up being is unique to you, but it's, it's one of those things, you know, when you find it, that's right. Because all of a sudden it doesn't feel like you're carrying the weight of the world with you there, all the problems and the pain going on in your life and those frustrations and that fight with your cousin or your boss or like that doesn't come into that space with you. And that's where you can find some peace. And that's, and again, that's, that's part of self-care work and self-reflection because you know, I had to have a therapist and have friends and things like that in order to actually go into the desert and keep guiding me. So only I can take myself through the desert, right? Only I can make the change. That's the hard part. But there are so many people around us that if we open ourselves up to have that conversation, we realize we're actually, we're not in this alone. Right. And, and and I, I did a podcast the other day when I talked about, um, there's uh, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States, but for every one successful suicide, there's 25 failed attempts. And wow. so that means there's over, I think it's a 1.1 million suicide attempts in our country alone each year. And we have at any given point in time, over 40 million people seeking help for anxiety and depression. Wow. And it's, 40 million. And, and, and I'm not saying you can have it one season and, you know, five years later it comes back or, you know, what have you, but it's like, why, why are these not conversations at the table? You know, because, because what I have found when I am in my pain and my despair, that is when I feel the most alone and the most isolated and the more isolated and alone I feel the worse it gets. Mm. When you can come to a safe place and say me too, man, that changes the conversation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so subject that's, that's, that's the reference to a continuum, right? Like yeah. life is always going to be series of different storms. The storm always keeps going on, but you're going to have to keep revisiting it. I, I didn't get to go into hell for six months. Now everything's perfect, right? Challenges still come at me. I still have to take time to reflect and process and go see a therapist or talk with friends or what have you. And so it's, but I would also say the more you do it, the easier it becomes, the yeah. more the more right. apt you are. It doesn't have to consume your whole life yeah. at that point, you know. Yeah, it it begins in discipline. It moves to practice. It becomes mm-hmm. hab- it becomes habitual, and then it just becomes how you navigate your life. And um, then you're sharing that back with those around you. That's right. That's right. And um, yeah, I love I I love that permission slip for for our listeners to not think that this has to be the way Thad does it or the way Ashton does it. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, but find your path, find whatever it is where you leave that world, where you feel isolated alone in that moment, uh, where you are there, um, in solitude and you feel connected and together. I I think, uh, that's going to be a lot of different things for a lot of different people, but find, find that. And, um, there's where a lot of this beautiful journey begins. So when you talk about, running from fear. Um, I, I really think if, if you're, if your book had a finish line, maybe that's a bad metaphor, but if, if your book had a place where it, you're trying to take us, it's to joy. It, it's to, um, not just living, but truly being alive. It, it, it's, and, and you write about trying to define what enough is and that you have to build a foundation for joy, not for happiness. Um, most of us, we wait for joy to come to us. It's this outside thing that we have to go get or that has to come our way. Um, hold my hand with finding joy, because I love how you wrote that that you, you start finding joy in all things, but you don't find it. Uh, it's not for all things. Walk with me there. Well, you know, one of the hardest parts that I've realized, right? So... Say you have a hundred people listen to this podcast and they, you know, say all hundred people connect with it. Realistically, one or two people might take this conversation further. They might buy the book or they they might do some more in-depth reading for themselves, right? I mean, that's that's just the world we we live in. We don't like to acknowledge that even joy takes work. Hmm. And so my argument for, for things like, you you know, going through all this hard work, it's not to put anybody through pain and despair and frustration. The ultimate, the, the end game, as you said, like that, if you, if there could be a finish line, 
is just to have more joy in your life. Yeah. That's all it really is about. And yeah. so for me, it's, it's just the why again, why aren't we getting to the joy? And so instead of waiting for it to come to us or for us to have the perfect life or the perfect job or the happy marriage or kids or what have you, it, it's no longer about, you know, because the bad things happen, right? And the easiest metaphor is you can say, you're sitting at the funeral and you're going to cry. And I say, cry, cry your heart out. Right. I mean, that is, that is, that is okay. But what happens at, you know, after the funeral, when everybody gets together, you usually have this moment of 50% crying and 50% just hysterically laughing because you're reflecting right back on some of the, the great memories you have, even if it's mm-hmm. not with that person, it's with mm-hmm. somebody you ran into its funeral, right? You're reflecting back on the joy and the good things. And so when I say something like, it's not about finding uh, joy for all things, right? Like you don't have to be happy, you know, that that person passed away. I mean, tragic things happen. There is no getting around it. And I'm not here to provide answers for that, but it doesn't mean that the tragic things have to rob us, rob us of all that joy in the moment. And so can you find joy even in the difficulties of your life right now? And that was the hardest question that I had to keep. And, and I, and I won't kid you, Ashton, I had moments when all I could be thankful for, all I could say in a prayer of gratitude to God was I'm thankful for this breath and mm-hmm. everything else I, I can't say thank you for. And so even if you, even if you have to start there, right. And, and, and then when it comes down to it, when I talk to, you know, you mentioned the letting go of outcomes and expectations. I mean, I talk about those things because those are all things that rob us of our joy here in the present moment now. You know, if I'm out there in the future and I'm trying to say, well, I will be happy when I get the job, when I have the kid, right? It's all these things. And that's what I did. I I, I jokingly laugh. I carried around a bottle of champagne with dust on it for seven years because I was always going to celebrate at X, Y, and Z. And then that moment would came, there'd be a new X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And so we never stop and just embrace any of the good in the moment now. Yeah. We, 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 we don't allow the moment. We don't allow to experience the moment. We just, we let it come at us as though it's attacking us or though it's not Mm -hmm. matching up with how we designed it. This, this is a huge idea. The idea of surrendering to all of these contingencies of, well, it's going to be like this, or this outcome, or this expectation. If you want to know what's robbing you from being present, chances are you had some type of outcome or expectation that that isn't being met. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I watch my kids who they can go skiing without a jacket on, it's because they're freaking present, and they're just <laughs> loving. They, they don't have time to acknowledge that it's cold. Um, they're there to ski. They're there to live it up. Um, and so I think that as you wrap up the book here at at surrender, um, man, it's easy to talk about surrender, uh, but it's a whole nother thing to really let go of all of the, the, the outcomes and the expectations. And, And when you do that, you, you allow yourself to experience the moment you're fully present. You're there. You're in the now, as Eckhart Tolle says, um, which is like what we're all after, right? Like <laughs> I always say, the question on the the question on the other side of the veil is not going to be what did you do. The question is just going to be, hey, were you even there? Like, yes. Like were you? Were you did? And, and why else would Jesus go? Hey, have you looked at the lilies lately? Um, have you seen seen the birds? Um, like that's that's the posture we want each day, right? Um, yeah. So so good. It, you know, you're, you're, you're right. And, and I think that's when kids are a beautiful thing. I, I came from a belief that you needed to be 70, 80, 90 years old to be a wisdom and an elder and share a gift back with the community. I always struggle with my age and what I'm writing and talking about. But when I finally let even go of that and realized that I was hiking in the woods one day with my three-year-old and we are stopping every five feet. And I'm like, I kid you not, we're, we're going to take an hour <laughs> to walk a quarter of a mile here. Yeah. And I was like, we need to get go. We got to go. We got to go. And then all of a sudden I realized like, she's literally chasing after the birds and the bees. Right. right. And yeah. do you see that daddy? Do you smell that? And you know, like we're smelling leaves, right? She doesn't know the difference between a leaf and a flower, but it's like, and then all of a sudden I stop and it's like, Oh wow, there's, 
that is a bird that is i haven't heard that i haven't seen it you know and it's just like when even i acknowledge that a three-year-old can can have something to teach right that's what i talk about letting go of some of those the shame and the Mm -hmm. guilts and the oughts and the judgments that that control us yeah and control our decisions in our lives yeah wonder and awe success just might keep you from presence but wonder and awe will definitely Mm -hmm. tie you tie you into the now um and so you kind of end, and I, I had to read this because I love, uh, you know, for those of you that are listening, listen to this this sentence here because I think um, this may be the the fourth digit code in a four digit code, you know, that you're just trying to say like, where are these guys going with this? When shame and guilt, should and oughts, judge, judgments and resentments are no longer in control of you, that is when you know that fear is no longer in control. Um, that's brilliant. That's like high five through the through the microphone <laughs> sentence, because um, there it is. If if shame and guilt is the narrative that you've got, if shoulds and oughts is your narrative, if judgments and resentments is the posture of your soul, I got some bad news. It's because you're allowing fear to have a say. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As you've gone through this. Um, and, and it sounds as though it's two steps forward, three steps backwards. The continuum of the desert is something that we must constantly revisit. What will you leave us with, uh, on the other side of this sentence? Give yourself grace. Mm. That's, that's, that's the only, the only thing that, that I could say is because my walk through the desert, it took me four walks through the desert before I even started to make any progress. I I didn't get it right on the first or the second or the third try, even with therapists, even with friends, even with books and sermons and speakers, I didn't, you know, so Hmm. you're not perfect and neither am I. And so the only thing I would like to remind everybody is just give yourself grace. Grace. That's a good word. That's a good word. Hmm. Well, man, um, I have loved this conversation. I, I hope you'll come back and join us again as you do put more work out into the world. Um, maybe for our listeners that want to find you and your work and your book, where's the best place we can send them? I am. Uh, I have a website. It's uh, fadcummings.com, fad with a T-T-H-A-D. And um, I have a podcast out that is uh, called Fad Talks. Thad Talks, right on. Yep, and that's where I'll announce the releasing of the uh, second book in January. So Beautiful, beautiful. Well, man, um, on behalf of all of us, uh, super grateful for you and your vulnerability uh, and the energy that you've put into this. Um, we are for you in this work that you're putting into the world, and I am. Uh, I can tell you it's going to lead to uh, more compassion, more peace, and more joy in the world, and... From the little time I've spent with you on the phone, uh, I think that's where you want your compass directed. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly true. Thank you, Ash, and I I, I do appreciate it. It's been great. All right, my friend. We'll have you back soon. All right, talk to you. Make sure you go to thadcummings.com. You can find a copy of his book there, and you can also see all the information about what he's doing in the world. We hope you also go to iTunes and leave us a review. Our goal here at Good, True, and Beautiful is to make sure that these conversations move their way out into the world to get people leading lives of more meaning, more peace, and more purpose. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love.